Hey guys, and welcome back to Modern Magic, brought to you by the Doubletown Fairies. I'm your main host, Liliana Blackheart. That's my name, and I'm sticking to it. In this episode, we are going to dive into the Summer Solstice, also commonly known as the Midsummer Sabbath. Um, this Sabbath falls on June 22nd, which is tomorrow, and we are going to discuss in this episode a little bit of the history and the folklore behind the holiday itself. And then in the next episode, we will be getting more into what you can do to properly celebrate the Sabbath. So most cultures of the Northern Hemisphere celebrate Midsummer or at least acknowledge it in some ritualized manner. For example, in India, Midsummer was the principal festival of the year. The holiday has been called many things over the years, including Litha or Vestalia in ancient Rome, Gathering Day in Wales, Alban Heflin in the Anglo-Saxon tradition, All Couples Day in Greece, the Feast of Epona in ancient Gaul, and for anyone who has to listen to this, I am so sorry for how bad I'm about to butcher this name, Fiel Sithane in Scotland. Now, in Scotland, the Sabbath honored the crone goddess, Ceridwen, and featured the cauldron, very reminiscent of the witches from Hamlet. The cauldron is the Celtic symbol of life, death, and rebirth. It symbolizes that the sun is not truly dead and was reborn from the goddess. The Celts would light bale fires from sunset the night before the of the holiday to sunset the next day. So from sunset on June 21st to sunset June 22nd. Now midsummer marks the time of year that falls on the summer solstice or the longest day of the year, the height of the sun's power. Though the hottest days of summer still lie ahead, from this point onward we do enter a waning year and each day the sun will recede from the skies just a little bit earlier. The Midsummer Sabbath celebrates fertility. The goddess is heavy with pregnancy, the farm animals will soon give birth to their new babies, and the earth is green with crops and vegetation. Yet fertility rites continue, both to ensure an abundant harvest and also ensure the prosperity of pagan families. Now, just as a human baby can be miscarried or born blighted, our ancestors knew this to be true for their crops and for their animals. Midsummer rituals focused on nurturing new life, both in the ground and in the human and animal wombs. The Sabbath is not just about motherhood, however. It also celebrates the sun, which warms the fertile earth and celebrates the strength of the horned god and father. For every mother, there is a father, and so it is for this holiday as well. The sun is at its peak in the sky. The sun god is at the peak of his life, and we celebrate his approaching fatherhood with the goddess. Because this is a Sabbath which uh, glorifies the sun, and the sun is a symbol of protection, Many pagans choose to make protective amulets in the week before the Sabbath that are later empowered over the Midsummer Balefire. Some witches choose to bury their protective amulets each Midsummer Eve and construct new ones on Midsummer. Some pagan traditions alternate the god personas. In some traditions, the Holly King rules as the horned god from the summer solstice through the winter solstice. 
while the Oak King rules as the Horned God from the winter solstice through the summer solstice. Now, these traditions might stage a midsummer ritual battle, symbolizing the Holly King vanquishing the Oak King and taking his rightful place for the coming months. The changing of the kings is meant to represent an annual cycle of the sun. Now, one of my favorite mythos about midsummer does come from the Greeks. In Greek mythos, the goddess Persephone was abducted by Pluto um, and was taken to the underworld to be his queen. Uh, Pluto is the god of the underworld or the, the god of Hades. And Persephone's mother, Ceres, goddess of fertility and abundance, mourned the loss of her daughter and the earth became barren. The earth survived only through the intervention of the other gods. The gods forced a compromise where Persephone alternately spent six months above ground during the summer with her mother, Ceres, and below ground in Hades during the winter with Pluto as his queen and consort. The earth and Persephone in, was fertile and warm during the six months of summer, that Persephone spent with Ceres. And during the six months of winter that Persephone spent with Pluto, the Earth and Persephone herself were barren and cold as Ceres mourned the loss of her beautiful daughter. The 21st century society with its high divorce rates offers a different type of analogy. Children of divorced parents often live with each of their biological parents during a portion of the year. Midsummer, or end of the school year, and Yule being holiday break, or times when children's transitions between parents might occur. The changing of the kings can symbolize the separation and divorce, a new and loving partner vanquishing an indifferent, abusive, or morally or literally bankrupt partner. Many traditions view Midsummer as a time for family closeness. The Scandinavians celebrate Thingtide just after the time of Midsummer. Thingtide is a gathering of families to conduct business before celebration and feasting. St. John's Day is celebrated in Ireland just before the time of the Midsummer Sabbath. Some Irish believe that fairies cart off prized livestock and unsuspecting human revelers, particularly young maidens, on St. John's Day. The German folklore contains numerous stories of foolish and naive persons wandering into the night woods during Midsummer and never returning. Considering the tale of Hansel and Gretel, where the witch attempts to roast Hansel and hold Gretel as a servant. The association of Midsummer with family closeness and with stories of family members disappearing during Midsummer might be related to the myth of Persephone's abduction by Pluto. The Holly King, Oak King tradition might be related to the myth of Persephone serving two rulers, Pluto, the god of Hades, and her own mother, Ceres, the goddess of fertility and abundance. During Midsummer, pagans traditionally gather magical and medicinal plants to dry and store for the winter. This practice is why it is called Gathering Day in Wales. The Celtic Druids gathered their sacred mistletoe. Apparently, I cannot say that word no matter how many times I try this. Mistletoe on the Midsummer Sabbath. The North American Miami Indians gathered buckeyes, or horse chestnuts, to fashion into protective amulets and jewelry. Lavender gathered during midsummer has been used as aphrodisiac incense. Pine cones gathered during midsummer have been fashioned into amulets of protections, 
uh, fertility and virility. Another few really good protections are rue, rowan, and basil tied up in a golden or white cloth. It serves as a great protection trio that can be carried in your pocket year round. Alternately, a few cinnamon sticks tied over the door of your home is another good protective charm. Or you might search for a special stone that represents protection to you. It might be golden white like the sun, or in the shape of a phallus, or may look like an eye watching over you. Another sun amulet, and one of my personal favorites, made for protection that uses the eye symbolism, is the South American God's Eye. It has its origins with the native people of the continent. Of the continent. These amulets were made from two sticks placed across each other to form an equilateral cross. Colored yarn is then wound around uh, them to form the body of the eye. By alternating the colors of the yarn, the finished product does look like a stylized eye. Its four points symbolize the two solstices and the two equinoxes. The native South Americans use them for both decoration and protective charms. I'll go over a little more in the next episode as to how to properly make one. Um, though all eight Sabbaths are in some way fire festivals, the element is most prominent at midsummer. Fire is the most easily seen and immediately felt element of transformation. It can burn, consume, cook, shed light, or purify, and because of its heat, fire is most intimately associated with the hot midsummer sun. Because of the sun's obvious role at midsummer, this was a time of fire rituals and fire magic throughout Western Europe, and bale fires still figure prominently at midsummer rites. The Celts would light bale fires all over their lands from sunset the night before midsummer until sunset the next day. Around these flames, the festivities and rituals would take place. The old Norse word for bale fire is, again, I'm sorry for any mispronunciations, beacon, and is still used today in reference to the midsummer fires. Again, in Scotland, the use of the cauldron, the Celtic symbol of life and death and rebirth, is, an, is really important to the Sabbath celebration that honors Sarah Gwynn. Um, the cauldron is present to remind revelers that the sun is not truly dead, but will be reborn from this cauldron of rebirth from the goddess at Yule. And we'll cover more of that in our Yule segment. On the night after Midsummer, mock funerals were held in Greece and Rome for the now waning sun and for celebration of the start of the harvest season, another reminder that death is not final. Processions to and from the ritual site were common at the warmer Sabbaths, especially at Midsummer. The Norse especially loved lengthy processions and would gather together their animals, families, and lighted torches and parade through the countryside to the celebration site. There, their torches were placed in the ground around the sacred circle, often in lieu of the bale fires. Two Christian holidays occur on or near Midsummer, both of which feature bale fires, referred to as bonfires in these cases. One of these festivals is St. John's Day. The feast day was instituted by the uh, insistence of Ireland's St. Patrick to occur just before Midsummer to draw attention away from the Sabbath celebration, 
though it's still widely practiced in today's society. Perhaps to discourage the pagan, way, the pagan ways, patriarchal leaders in Ireland began a superstition which deemed this a very unlucky day, especially for one's animals. In a gross distortion of old folk beliefs, threats of fairies carting off prized stock and unsuspecting human revelers became a very effective scare tactic to keep midsummer festivals inside and away from the larger community. The other Christian holiday is Whitsunday commonly called Wit Suntide. It is the fifth day after Easter. Bonfires once used to be lit to acknowledge the state, but this practice has since been replaced by candle services in nearly all of British churches. Most wild herbs are fully matured by midsummer, and this traditional time for gathering magical and medicinal plants to dry and store for the winter use in Wales, it is called the Gathering Day, as we already covered. Um, the Celtic Druids also gathered their sacred plants at Midsummer, especially the important and revered mistletoe, and in their tradition, called it the Golden Vow, which they cut with a golden sickle reserved just for this event. When found on the sacred oak tree, it was especially valued, for it was believed to have been blessed by the god himself. Mistletoe was used in all sorts of healings, divinations, and magical spells, and was believed to open locks, including a locked mine. But its appeal went far beyond the Celtic lands. Use of and veneration for mistletoe are found in the folklore of Italy and France, and even as far away as Japan. In Rome, it was used to adorn the hearth fires of celebration of Vestalia, which signaled the rekindling of the home fires for the coming winter. Mistletoe was added to the griskris, or charm bags, of the Santeria and voodoo cults, and the Swedes also gathered the and displayed it on Midsummer Eve, knowing that it was sacred to their sun god, Baldur, and to the goddess Frigga. Lavender is another Midsummer favorite and is an aromatic. I'm sorry, aromatic herb that figures prominently in many British and Irish folk songs. Just the scent of it was once believed to be a strong catalyst to love magic. It is still burned at pagan hand fastings and is sought out as an aphrodisiac. Lavender in full flower was also used as a midsummer incense to honor the deities as parents-to-be. Vervain was also traditionally collected at midsummer just before dawn, and pine cones gathered at midsummer were considered powerful amulets of protection, fertility, and virility. If you are gathering herbs from the wild, you will need a good book on botany to help you identify what it is that you're harvesting. Don't go out and just harvest random plants. That's not going to end well for you. Unless you're an expert in herbalism. Never ingest or burn any herb whose name, function, and side effects you are not completely familiar with. If you have planted an herb garden, you are ahead of the game since you know, well, at least you should know exactly what the plants and their uses are. That is one of the reasons why this coming fall we will be doing an herbalism class series. So that come spring, you will know exactly what to plant and exactly what it does and what the side effects are so that maybe by next midsummer, you'll be able to harvest your own herbs.
Many pagan traditions insist that magical herbs must be cut with a special curved white-handled knife, commonly called a baleen. But it is not necessary to have one to begin harvesting your magical herbs. It is, however, a good idea to cut magic herbs with a knife that is only used for this purpose. But a plain kitchen knife purchased especially for your herbs works just as well. Just try not to use it to cut your meat as well. When cutting herbs, you will need a cloth to place them on, for it is essential that once cut, they not be allowed to touch the ground. The earth is a grounding force which absorbs energy, including that of your herbs. Magic herbs touch the ground um, and will have their, their power drained back into the earth. Take along a cloth of natural fabric, fabric in a neutral white or black upon which to lay the cut plants. Also, burlap will work. So if you have burlap cloth, that'll, that's actually really good. To put fresh herbs up to dry, you will need a special, uh, special space where they can hang undisturbed for several months. The best places are warm, dry spots such as in your kitchen or near a fireplace. Attics are good choices too, but avoid basements which tend to be damp and cool most of the year. Bundle the herbs together in manageable groups and tie them together at their base with a piece of twine. String a long length of twine across your herbs. Um, um, I'm sorry, at the across your hearth, kitchen ceiling, or wherever else you're going to hang the herbs and tie your bundles to this. It'll keep them facing down and help them dry out very evenly without wilting. They'll be ready in 30 to 90 days, depending on your climate. The warmer and drier it is, the faster they will cure. All right, guys, so that is pretty much it for our history lesson of Midsummer and Midsummer's Eve and the different Midsummer traditions around the world. We will be going more over how to properly celebrate Midsummer, um, how to do it safely, any precautions you need to take, and what are some alternatives to going out and lighting a huge bale fire. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. This would not be possible without your support, and we really do appreciate that. If you haven't done so already, Go over and check out our social media episode. Find out just how to stay up to date with all of our upcoming projects, all of our upcoming events, and maybe even some sneak peeks. Follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thedevtpa. We'll have an episode about that later today as well, seeing as we are officially up and running as of this morning. Again, you've been listening to Modern Magic by the Devil Town Fairies. Be sure to favorite this podcast. Thank you again for listening and for your support. My name is Liliana Blackheart, and I'll see you all in the next episode.